look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popowich. How you doing, buddy? Getting ready to eat some turkey. Are you? Yeah, I'm going to eat way too much. Going <laughs> to roll around on the ground like a, you know, just a stuffed animal. So can I, can I tell you a story? Okay. Okay. Um, my youngest, uh-huh. who comes to me and says, I want to rent a bouncy castle and have some friends over. Okay. Sure. So I called the bouncy castle company. And they said, 50 bucks. Great. Yeah. 50 bucks, I'll take. But it's going to cost you $1,000 for installation or, and, and having it all ready. I go, that's kind of crazy. It's $50 to rent the thing, but 1000 bucks to put it together. <laughs> He's like, that's inflation. Get it? Oh, jeez. Huh? Pretty good, eh? That's terrible. Oh, come on. That was good. That's terrible. That was a good one. <laughs> just don't give up your day job, man. You're not going to that Montreal on the comedy clubs anytime soon. That's boo. That's brutal. Okay. I like that one. <laughs> I don't know how I topped that level of cheesiness. <laughs> okay. Um, we got a pretty cool show today. Uh, yeah, Trent, I don't even know how to segue from that. So let's just go at just it. Start yeah. it. Just yeah. start it. Yeah, we're gonna look. At, we're gonna look at global retirement trends and how we compare in Canada with um, other retirement readiness surveys. Interesting. We're also gonna talk a little bit about. Um, we kind of started a series on estate planning here, right? It's it's confusing and sometimes complicated. It's never a fun conversation. Correct. People people delay it all the time, but it's a critical part of the overall retirement plan. That's right. So we're going to talk a little bit about trust and specifically spousal trusts. When should you use them? What are they? When should you use them? And when shouldn't you add that kind of complexity to the situation? Correct. All right. Um, This week, this week was interesting. We got some details (laughs) on the free trade pact. What are we calling it now? The USMCA or something like that? NAFTA 2.0, I call it. Not even. Well, there's no free trade in that. So you can't even call it NAFTA. So it's the U.S.-Mexico-Canadian Agreement. Right. USMCA. A USMCA. So we got some of the details of it this week. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the details are interesting. There's uh, some potential restrictions with Canada doing business, no, forming a direct agreement with relationship China. with China. Of course. With China. With any uh, other foreign entities. But China is where it's direct. Non-market. Toward. Non-market countries. Which Correct. Are, which it doesn't China state China in. specifically, right. but it's it's basically saying you can't really do all that kind of stuff. Right. Now, Trump administration obviously trying to ring fence China to, to put pressure on them. But this, this presents, in my opinion, this presents uh, a, ch- a challenge. I mean, we are trying desperately. We now know what the effect is of being um, beholden to the United States as our basically only export partner. We need to diversify. I think that conversation's been had for a long time. We all agree that it needs to happen. And the second largest economy is now forbidden. Well, it's forbidden's a... Okay, here. Here's my view on this one. If you break the rules, what happens? Yeah, I don't know. Okay. So they can... The, the, the president well, at they that can time... Withdraw. They I mean, can withdraw out of the agreement. Uh, six months later. That's right. Okay. So through that time, there has to be some sort of a fight. We've had softwood lumber issues for how long, and no one stepped out of the agreement. It's a very um, harsh stance for any um, administration to say, you broke the agreement, we're out. And we apply auto tariffs on you. Correct. That's the fear, right? That's the fear, but that's assuming this administration. That's assuming that when everything gets put through. Keep in mind, agreements take years to put together and years to implement, and then you can actually see the outpour on it. So I'm not as concerned. I'm not as concerned. You know what I am concerned? This is kind of going to deviate from Mm -hmm. day to day. I'm really worried about the future generations and jobs. 
And here's what NAFTA 2.0 or any other free trade agreement, uh, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, what they've encouraged is flow of goods going back and forth, mm -hmm. flow of services going back and forth, which opens up competitiveness. Yep. When you open up competitiveness, companies who need to keep their bottom line the same or increase it, meaning they have to increase right. profits. And I'm talking about private corporations and public corporations. Sure. Large employers and small employers will have to adjust to the technology era in the future. Yeah, you did a piece on this on, on Facebook. Yes, so. I was pushing yeah. on that. Um, I, I'm, I'm really concerned because... When you look at who's going to take the out the uh, the negative impact to globalization and movement of goods between between um, boundaries or mm -hmm. countries as well as services, is now you're in a global competitive world. Right. And so to increase your profit line, you have to start increasing the technology base. Mm -hmm. And we're hearing all the stuff about augmented reality, artificial intelligence, robots, so on and so forth. And I think that's where the, the, the wave of the future is going. Mm -hmm. And so my concern, I've got two little girls, you got two little girls, they're in a global market. We have to start to think about what is the, um, the benefit of education in the future? Where should they be educating themselves? Where should they be promoting themselves, building their own, their own future? I think, um, take it 30 years ago or 50 years ago at a high school uh, d diploma was was key. Mm -hmm. Take it when we were in university, uh, an undergraduate uh, degree was key. Mm -hmm. That's no longer active anymore. Right. I think that's obsolete. And especially in certain areas, there's certain parts of or, or departments in every university that may be irrelevant for future employment. Right. It may give you that self-fulfilling viewpoint that you've learned something, right. but th there's a lot of areas. So I, what I worry about is I've heard many of my friends say, we're going to allow our child to go into whatever they feel like going into, and we're not worried about the future. Quote, unquote, not worried about the future. When you're in a competitive world where there's about a million graduates coming out of Asia every single year in the, the four major areas I call STEM, right? Mm -hmm. So there's science, technology, engineering, and math. That's the wave of the future. How are you going to compete to that? And if you say we don't have to worry, these types of trade agreements will impact those jobs. And so we were... We have to look at how things have changed from a technology perspective, and I'll bring it real today. Today, we have a lot of these truck drivers. There's a, a shortage in the U.S. We have truck drivers in Canada, and they're moving along, and their biggest fear right now is autonomous vehicles. Mm -hmm. And it will come. It may not be next year. It may take 20 years from now, but it will come. And when it does happen, and that truck driver says, now what am I going to do? I'm out of a job. Well, you've had 20 years of warning. This is the warning for every single parent, grandparent, child, everybody in the industry. It's changing. The bookstore owner, no one had, had any empathy for that person who lost their job because Amazon came out. Right. It's coming, and it's here, and we in Canada are not as um, um, technologically evolved uh, when it comes to our businesses, or we don't pay as much, put as much money into that type of sector, nor do we train our youth or anybody else. Our government's not focusing on that. Our companies are not focusing on training for when you are displaced out of a job for the next. And that's going to be the biggest issue we're going to see. So although there's, there's opportunity in the short term for trade and so forth, I'm really concerned about the future when it comes to employment. I don't see it increasing. I see it decreasing uh, with the, uh, the support of technology. Yeah, well, technology is the great disruptor as we
talk about in every industry evolution it's not even technology it's evolution talk to the person who first had a car versus horse that's technology we can call that that but that was that was a disruptor no that's evolution we're going to evolve and so we have to get on top of this and so from your portfolio perspective from a retirement perspective and from a long-term economic viewpoint we have to evolve and we have to know that if we're going to allow self-driving vehicles on the car Better somebody better start warning these taxi cab drivers and Uber drivers that you're going to be out of a job. Let's get you trained up for the next wave that's coming along, right. whatever that may be. Right. And we're not going to do that. Companies don't do that. Government doesn't do that. And we ourselves don't think in that format. We need some some group working together for the future. Here we come, China. <laughs> Here we come. Hey. Here we come. We need to. Carmeli for prime minister. Uh, no. No. Hey. No. Hey. Who says? Yeah. No. First person that sends it an email that says Carmeli for prime minister, no. I want to give him a free book. <laughs> <laughs> Bulletproof your retirement. That's right. You yeah, got it. The first one that there's comes the incentive in. right there. A free book to say yes. But no, no, don't don't do that. No, no. no prime minister. <laughs> no prime minister. No. no. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, the trade packs. The the competitiveness. And we could talk about national competitiveness, right? We've got we've got a southern partner that's getting very aggressive in terms of their competitiveness. Canada, forgetting about just technology, I'm talking in general now, not competitive, correct? Right? And we ha- we do have some restrictions. We face some potential problems here, at least through this next administration, with respect to international trade partners. So, how do we ha- plan for a retirement in the future with all these disruptors along the way? How do you profit and protect in these types of market? We've been very volatile last few days. We're going to talk about all that on Tuesday, October 23rd, 7 p.m. At the Oak Ridge Co-op Wine and Spirits. Now you need to reserve your seats. And we're filling up seats quickly. So please call or register online by calling 8966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or go on our website to register at morethanmoneyradio.com. Stick around after the break. We'll compare how ready Canadians are for retirement versus the rest of the world. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and uh, More Than Money. You know, we, we talk a lot about retirement, obviously, uh, since that's the entire focus of our show and the world that we live in. Yep. Um, <laughs> and we often are, are uh, very focused on uh, the, the Canadians' experience. But how does Canada, how does our population compare to the rest of the world? That's a very good question because we talk about how, you know, all of our different services and, and offerings from the government, such as Social yep. Security, or we call it old age security here, or Canadian pension plan for those who have contributed to it. And, you know, people are underfunded, overfunded, or they don't have enough money, or they've got too much debt. And But when it comes down to it, how are we comparing ourselves yeah. to the rest of the world? What are we doing well? What are we not doing so well? What can we learn? Right, yeah. There's got to be lots of stuff. So to help us understand that. We have a terrific guest today. Catherine Collinson is the CEO and the president of Transamerica Institute and the Transamerica Center for Retirement Studies, as well as the executive director of the Aegon Center for Longevity and Retirement. Now, she co-hosts ClearPath, which is your roadmap to health and wealth. Catherine, we'd love having you on the show. Thanks for taking some time with us. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Okay, so um, we're going to talk a little bit about this uh, retirement readiness survey measure. Maybe it's it's a very, very in-depth document, lots of good information. Maybe let's just start there. So what is the retirement readiness survey that you participated in? What does it measure? Uh, Well, it measures retirement readiness. Uh, The nature of the survey is this. Uh, Aegon, which is based in the Netherlands, and uh, Transamerica Institute collaborate on a global retirement survey. Mm -hmm. Uh, Each year we survey 16,000 respondents across 15 countries to understand how well they're preparing for retirement. And with the eye of identifying opportunities, uh, surfacing issues, 
and in not only finding comparisons, but how can we share best practices? And what's really, really interesting, historically, countries are approaching, have different retirement systems, but we're all sort of confronting the same challenges and issues. So our goal is to raise awareness and provide people with some action steps. Okay. Um, So let's maybe just uh, dig in a little bit here. Um, At a high level, um, tell us a little bit about what you found most interesting in the findings. What most interesting is people around the world, including including Canada, Mm -hmm. are concerned about their future retirement. Many feel that they're not saving enough, and uh, many are also concerned about the future of their Social Security benefits. Um, Each country has its own flavor of Social Security. I'm using the term sort of generically, but the government benefits uh, that are pay-as-you-go systems where today's workers are paying the benefits of today's retirees, those systems are under strain and people are very concerned about the future of their benefits not losing them altogether necessarily, but maybe there will be some changes in their benefits, either reductions, uh, that popped up as a concern that people are concerned they might not get as much as they think they will. Can we spend some time on Canada? Pardon? Can we, spend some, can we spend some time about Canada and how we did in the, in the survey? Absolutely. Okay, so tell me what you, what you found, uh, how Canada did versus the rest of the world. Well, Canada is doing uh, pretty consistently with the rest of the world. We have this index we call the Aegon Retirement Readiness Index, which measures uh, retirement readiness on a scale from 1 to 10 uh, based on six key factors. Um, and our, our rating scale is uh, anything less than 6 is considered low, 6 to 7.9 is considered medium, and 8, is, eight or higher is considered high. Mm-hmm. Globally, retirement readiness came in at 5.9, which is still in the low. Canada is actually higher than the global average at 6.0, which is just barely in the median cate- medium category. Mm-hmm. Sounds like how um, Dave did in university. <laughs> Just barely above the average. <laughs> oh, you see how this goes, Catherine. Okay, so we kind of snuck into the uh, into the medium category there. Who was the what? What country was the was the most ready for retirement? Well, interestingly enough, we see the highest scores in emerging markets. Um, and I'll also add, it's an online survey, so there is some inherent survey bias to urban centers or mm-hmm. more, you know, people who are part of the new economy. So, for example, in India, which actually scores the highest, um, we're not able to reach people out in rural areas um, because they don't have computers and many right. don't even have phones. So the India came in at 7.3, followed by China at 6.7, and Brazil at 6.6. Oh, that's emerging markets. I wouldn't have guessed that. Yes. Yeah. And and they're they're fast-growing economies, and one of the questions that we ask is if they feel that future generations of retirees will be better or worse off than the current generation, and those are the countries where we see the highest optimism about the future. Um, And they're experiencing economic growth, very rapid growth, in in a way that um, other countries have much, uh, more developed countries have much more slowly growing economies. 
Yeah, the, the, I guess the mature. Sense. Yeah, ver, yeah. So the optimism I can see for sure. What about the developed yeah. nations? Where where did uh, where, who were the uh, the top end in the developed nations? And if you if you can recall which ones were, I know we were in the median area, but which are the developed nations yeah. were actually in the top end? Okay, the U.S. came in at six point five, uh, Germany at six point one. And then the United Kingdom, uh, in a tie with Canada, it's 6.0. Okay. <laughs> and then There's Australia, 5.9. <laughs> Interestingly, the Netherlands, uh, which is often heralded as having one of the, the best retirement systems in the world, they came in at 5.7. Hmm. And then I'll, I'll fast forward to the lowest. Uh, we've The lowest every year in the survey that we've that we've done it is Japan at 4.7. Japan is feeling the effects of a rapidly aging population where there's a far greater proportion of older people compared to younger people and that is having implications in terms and they live <laughs> they live a real, they have one of the highest life expectancies in the world as well. Mm-hmm. And so it is putting a strain on social systems, on employment, um and also um, just their economy. They've had a very slow-growing gro- economy in general. Is, is there anything you can put your finger on? So comparing Canada to, say, the United States, um, what would lead – is that an optimism thing, that Canadians are maybe just more pessimistic than Americans are uh, in terms of what that retirement looks like, or is there some math behind this, if Americans save more money? What, would you put, what do you put your finger on to say why the U.S.'s uh, average retiree would be, say – more ready than a Canadian. Okay, well, I will. Uh, I will sort of break it down for you. Okay. Um, and as I mentioned, there's sort of six key questions that that the index is built on. Um, one is a feeling of personal responsibility, feeling very responsible for having sufficient income in retirement. Uh, the U.S. scores slightly higher in than Canada on that question. Uh, uh, U.S. respondents, uh, 60% feel very responsible compared to 53% of those in Canada. Um, U.S. also scores higher on the level of awareness to need to financially plan for retirement. 47 versus 38% feel very responsible. Um, um, Now, and I'm... Uh, The next one, and I have kind of a fun one, too, for you. Um, Thinking about retirement planning process, the U.S. scores slightly higher, and neither country scores particularly well. 23% in the U.S. say their retirement plans are very well developed compared to only 16% of Hmm. Canadians. And um, and with regard to preparations, uh, U.S., again, very few feel very prepared, but slightly higher than Canada, 19 versus 12 wow. percent. And then on track to meet the retirement income needs, uh, um, only 32 percent of, of U.S. respondents compared to 29 percent of Canadians feel they're on course to re, uh, achieve their needed retirement income. Now, one thing that is really one last measure I think is really telling, though, is um, we ask people their ability, self-reported ability to understand financial matters when it comes to planning for your retirement. Uh, 37% in the U.S. say they're very able compared to only 27% to to those in Canada. Um, 
However, this one has an interesting twist to it. Okay. Later on in the survey, for the first time in the history of the survey, with the permission of uh, doctors Anna Maria Lusardi and Olivia Mitchell uh, at George Washington University in the Wharton School, who authored the big three financial literacy questions mm-hmm. uh, to test way. how much people really, <laughs> their basic financial literacy, like um, even though U.S. say they're very, they're very able, mm-hmm. uh, Canada scored much higher uh, on the big three questions than the U.S. respondents. On the financial literacy, yeah, big three. Yes. That's what are the don't uh, we're just looking 37 percent got all three questions right in Canada yeah. when it came to the United States only 31 percent got it all right uh, then 33 percent got two answers correct in Canada in the US 29 percent so some of us uh, attended math school a little bit longer than others I think <laughs> that's, what it is. <laughs> oh, that, that's terrific all right so there's some work to do here clearly uh, the, the optimism that's interesting we'll have to dig a little bit more into that um, uh, you know, the developed versus the developing uh, world responses to this. But, Catherine, I want to thank you very much for your time today. We've, we've enjoyed it, and uh, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks for having me. We've been joined by Catherine Collinson, who is the CEO uh, and president of Transamerica Institute and Transamerica Center for Retirement Studies. Okay, Faisal, we've got to talk about this whole idea of retirement readiness coming up at our seminar, right? Our goal is to take that number from whatever it was, 30-some-odd percent, to a hundred percent. That's our goal. Make sure everybody is retiring and ready for it. We're discussing all that and the strategies to bulletproof your retirement on Tuesday, October 23rd, 7 p.m. at the Oak Ridge Co-op One Spirits and Beer. Now you need to reserve your seats. Give us a call, 966-8400, or go on our website at morethanmoneyradio.com. All right, stick around after the break. We've got some more uh, interpretation because I want to talk to Faisal about what this study actually means and how it might help you. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. I thought that was an interesting uh, segment we just did with Catherine, sort of putting into perspective where we fit in our retirement readiness with the rest of the world, both developed and developing. It did catch my attention, Faisal, that the developing world um, feels more prepared than the developed world. And I was also interested in the difference between the U.S. and Canada in particular. Correct. And I think there are some distinctly Canadian responses that skew that result. You think so? I do. I think so. What's What's the Canadian response you're uh, referring to? Uh, th- so we're more apologetic, less uh, assertive. And it came out in that, right? So I think a Canadian would respond more conservatively to that question than an American would. So the question of are you ready for retirement? Right. And you, I think they no, I'm not ready, right. versus the Americans that more confident? Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. Saying, yeah, I am ready. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think there are, there's nothing in there that showed me that you know Americans have saved more, um, Canadians have more questions about do I have enough money, you know those kinds of areas. I think there's some some distinctly Canadian issues in there, but I think in in aggregate what we see is the developed world in that kind of medium, you know, I think medium when, preparedness. I, I think the difference between the two is how people have seen their their four hundred one ks in the U S. Their RSPs here in Canada have grown. If uh, you're an American. And you've had a 401k or a pension and so forth in the last couple of years. You've been 99% U.S. stocks. That thing's taken off. In Canada, not as much. Yeah, maybe that has some And influence. so the op, op, you know, you're more opti- um, opti- optimist when you have uh, your stock market and your housing prices and everything going up. 
you feel more op- uh, you know you know feel that, that that sense of happiness. Yeah, but Vancouver's prices have gone through but the roof. But not the stock market. Tro- no, but, but their house prices have gone up. They're all the wealthier. Yeah, I I, I don't, I don't think, so. think when you when you look at Canada and all the issues, um, the op- you know the, the way that the people feel. And... I think we're naturally more pessimistic. Listen, most people, most of the Americans don't have savings. Same with Canada. Right. So look at it. there's there there's not. It, I, uh, when we break it down economically, I think there's some social security networks here that they don't have in the United States. I'm I'm interested in that. So I I'm not so concerned that we rated a six and the U.S. got a six point five. Yeah. All right. I I I find it interesting that the developed world in general, it, you know, people globally are all feeling kind of the same. Japan, the bit of the outlier there, right down at four point two or four point three. Okay. Um, and I there's some unique aspects to the Japanese culture and, you know, the aging population that probably leads to that too. But I think in general, uh, as this as this global demographic starts to hit this phase where we've got to start living off of our savings, right, people are really starting to uh, question, wonder about the sustainability of that. I mean, that's our whole business, right? Those, that question we get every single month. Correct. Do I have enough? Is it going to work? And then you take that and you look at the next part of the survey that yeah. was in there was retirement planning is lacking. Right. In Canada, 17% of those surveyed said they have a written plan for their retirement. Right. <laughs> 41% said, I have a plan, but it's not written down. <laughs> and then 38% said, mm, don't have a plan. And, and, and the funny part is 4% says, I, I don't know. I don't know if I have a plan or not. <laughs> I think if you don't know, it's a no. Yeah. That, okay. So let's let's. That's the rounding. Okay. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Or they chose not to add. Here. Okay, yeah. that's probably yeah. what it was. Then I guess. So, seventeen percent have a written plan. Forty-one say I have a plan, but I I haven't written it down. Yeah. This is the concern, and it's not just a written plan. Right. Because people say, okay, I've got a written financial plan. I'm good. It's written financial plan, strategy, and implementation. Yeah. And when we sit down with individuals who listen to our show, come to us and ask for second opinions, and they haven't gone through the process like our clients have gone through our process, the questions of, can I retire? What's the risks? How much money am I going to take out? Mm-hmm. How much money can I, what, what's going to be happening from a tax perspective? Um, they, they don't have that all written out for them. They don't have someone that's guiding them through that. That's where the problems lie. And when you have markets like in the last couple of days, had the volatility that it's had, and they're like, oh, my God, this thing could turn over. And, yeah, it could. They're they're basing their entire plan, their entire retirement on the market, mm-hmm. on what the market does. Mm-hmm. If the market's stock, down, I'm not going to retire. Particular, yeah. Yeah. Right? I had someone that called me yesterday, uh, yeah, yeah, yesterday, and said, Faisal, um, with the market moving the way it is on, on a downward view, this is what mm-hmm. they, they, they claimed it to be, is downward view, that I may have to give up some of my retirement um, objectives, uh, things that I wanted to do in my retirement. Mm-hmm. And that scared me because I, I, I don't, I, I hate when people think what the stock market does equals what they can do in retirement. They're a hundred percent reliant on re, on the, the stock market. And that's my biggest concern. So how do you separate that? This is where asset dedication comes mm-hmm. into play, yeah. structuring right. uh, in retirement. But, but people only have, uh, have that viewpoint that if stock market up equals I can live the life I want, stock market down means I cannot. Right. That's a that's a hard, that's a hard life to well, live. Well, it's a roller coaster ride emotionally that um, you know probably detracts from the overall. Um, what I'm going to say the, the the peace of mind or you know the the quality of the retirement. Right? And, and people are having a tough time when when markets are down that they're going to be dipping into their savings. Mm-hmm. 
which is their capital. So if they've given you a million dollars and they dip into that, they take you know $50,000 out to spend. Now they're less than a million dollars. That's the fear that if I keep on doing this, I'm going to run out of money. Mm-hmm. And so the fear of dipping into capital is is what leading principle yeah. what what pushes people to take on more risk what what pushes people to make um, um decisions that are emotional not rational and then they also look at this and saying it's not going to work right well part part of our part of the problem is our industry is is misguided people in this i think is you know we we talk to so many people and they all think um i need to to maintain my principal value now, i'm not saying that that can't be a goal but what I am saying is for a portion of your financial assets that are your pension, right? A pension, if you think about it, is designed to be drawn down over time. So this goes back to goals and objectives for each family, right? Don't The rules of thumb scare me, right? When people just say, well, I've got a million bucks. If I make 5% a year, uh, you know, I'll have that $50,000. $50, the yeah. math doesn't work. It doesn't support that, okay? So um, you, we've got to be clear on what the goal and objective is, how much risk you want to take on, and is it okay to deplete principal? Right? Is that what's supposed to happen? Because for the last 35 years, this demographic has done nothing but save, and they've seen their net worth go up. Is it okay now that it starts to come down? We call this the thing. decumulation. Yeah, it's hard to see your portfolio go down because you're spending, right? And not seeing the market recuperate what you've what you've spent. Or, but but let's say let's, let's say markets are good, but you want to spend at a rate that is higher than what it can be replaced. Is that bad? Not necessarily. Yeah, I think the pension can be drawn down to zero at a time in the future that is acceptable. When you anchor your entire life based upon how the markets go, then you're going to live and die by how the markets go. Base your lifestyle on your lifestyle, what you want, and build a plan accordingly. And let's make sure we solidify that plan over every market condition, regardless if it's up or down. That way you have enjoyment. You don't have dependency on on the outcome of some market. And And clear expectations. Clear expectations, right? If you're a very low-risk investor, it's not a realistic expectation to say that I'm not going to deplete principal. If I need a million bucks or I've got to spend $50,000 a year, maybe that, that that that's an acceptable outcome but we need to educate people about that and we're going to do that at our upcoming summit yeah and i i'm really passionate about this i think people need to take a bit of a listen to this whole process and how to bulletproof their retirement over the long term on tuesday october 23rd 7 p.m at the oakridge co-op wine and spirits you need to reserve your seats so give us a call at 966-8400 that's 966-8400 or go to our website at morethanmoneyradio.com you want to protect your spouse after you're gone? Is a spousal trust right for you? Join us after the break. We're going to talk about that. You're on 770 CHQR and more than money. Welcome back here with David Faisal on 770 CHQR and more than money. And we're going to talk about more than money today. We, we've sort of started a series, I think uh, I would call it, if you will, on, um, on estates, wills and estates. Faisal, because there's a, there's a lot of complexity you yeah. know, in what we call that legacy bucket. Right? Correct. Lots of things to think about and plan for. Uh, the cornerstone of um, uh, of the legacy bucket is your will, which is essentially the gift that you want to leave behind and the manner in which you want to leave it. Okay, there's also things to to think about when you're uh, protecting against certain scenarios. Okay, one of the topics, uh, and I can even speak over the past two weeks when I have sort of legacy bucket conversations with clients. Uh, one of the areas that I often spend time educating them about our trusts in general, but spousal trusts specifically. Okay. So I thought it might be interesting to educate uh, our listeners 
a little bit about uh, trust and spousal trust in particular, when you might use it, what it would protect against, you know, what, what it's for. Yeah, I think it's a very important piece that we should definitely be adding on to the, the conversation about estate planning. And, and like you said, Dave, the will is the, the cornerstone. It's the legal document. Yeah. Um, however, the planning before and the strategy after is right. very important. Yeah. Uh, so the, the will is, when you ask people, have you planned for your estate? They're like, yeah, I've got a will. That's just the document. Mm-hmm. How have you planned for it? And how are you put, building a strategy going forward from that point? is very important. So we have to bring in our, our reoccurring guest, Catherine Zhang. She is a, a, a estate lawyer and associate at, at Walsh LLP. Catherine, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Okay, right. so let's let's set the tone. Um, spousal trusts get used or com- talked about quite a bit, in at least in our world, um, and we've talked to many of our clients and some listeners of the show about the potential use of it. How about we first break down what is a spousal trust and, and who are the best candidates for those, that type of a trust? Uh, spousal trusts are um, tools that are an estate planning tool that you can use um, in your estate plan when you draft a will, for example. Um, it's it's a tool that helps the testator or the client uh, to protect those assets, uh, but also um, direct where those assets can be used or how they can be used during an individual's lifetime. And in this case, it would be the spouse, uh, but indicate that. If the if there's um, assets left over in that trust, um, following uh, the spouse's um, lifetime, um, the spousal trust allows them to direct where those um, remaining assets are to ultimately go. Um, so when we talk about good candidates, um, the two um, most common candidates we see for the uh, tool of spousal trusts are um, second marriages when you're working with a blended family and uh, both spouses or one spouse is coming into the marriage uh, with children from a previous marriage and, and wants to ensure that there are assets set aside uh, to benefit those children of the first marriage. Um, and uh, the second is when you're dealing with a couple where um, one individual perhaps has a family business um, and the idea is the family business continues through the family line but maybe not necessarily uh, get distributed to the surviving spouse on death. So those are two of the more common situations where we see spousal trusts get utilized. You know, Dave, we're seeing more and more... Um second and third marriages in this in this uh, country we are seeing that the the rate of um, divorce happening amongst people over the age of 50 is at a growing rate um, and so these types of plans need to be reviewed um, it's a very difficult conversation to have mm-hmm. uh, when you when you have um, a second or third marriage um, and especially when you have a blended family uh, so Catherine let's Let's start off with, let's focus kind of on, on that topic. We'll, we'll do business succession down the road when it comes to estate planning and so forth. But in, in this topic, let's talk about blended families, very common now in Canada. Um, what, what, uh, what are the things that people need to be aware of when it comes or what should one consider when, 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 are you, when you're involved in, a, in a, a blended family when it comes to estate planning? Well, um, the trust only works to separate assets, um, the first and foremost, that are yours alone. So um, if a couple comes in uh, to our office and says, okay, at the end of the day, I want to throw our matrimonial home into the spousal trust. I want to allow my spouse to live in that house for as long as the, you know they'd like for their lifetime, but then the proceeds from that sale get split up um, pursuant to my directions after. The first question I always ask is, how is that asset registered? Because if it's joint, 
uh, that property is not going to fall into the spousal trust. It's going to fall to the surviving spouse directly. So you have to make sure that when you're putting assets in the trust, that those assets are held by you alone. Um, the second thing that you want to consider or, you know, just be aware of is um, the nature of the spousal trust requires that any income that is generated from that trust be paid out to the spouse um, absolutely. So the um, while you're holding on assets, you um, there is going to be an entitlement from the spouse's end. We typically see um, an additional power of encroachment, which means it allows the trustee, whoever is managing the trust, um, to pull out funds at any given time, just to make sure that you know the the spouse is being adequately cared for during their lifetime. Um, and along those lines, you also want to make sure that um, the person who's in charge of taking care of those funds. So the trustee of the spousal trust isn't one and the same as the spouse because it, it generally leads to a conflict of interest. The spouse can be one of the trustees, but they can't be the sole trustee of that spousal trust. And who can be the, the trustee then, Catherine? Just You've got a range to choose from. Maybe just educate mm-hmm. the listeners a little bit about who that might be. Uh, well, you can absolutely choose um, anybody or any family member that you might feel um, has a good handle on the finances. Uh, but we also caution um, clients in that end because we want to make sure that the spouse and that trustee are ultimately going to have a good relationship. Um, If you have any doubts at all, there's also always the option of a third-party trustee, which includes a trust company, Uh, and sometimes that takes the hard decisions out of the hands of family members and puts it, you know, puts it in the wheelhouse of um, an entity that is that uh, doesn't have any emotion attached to the administration of the trust, which might work best for both uh, the spouse and the remaining family members, depending on what the family dynamics are. Now, you mentioned the word spouse. Is that only for married couples? Because there's also common law in this province as well. Does that does that uh, does a spousal trust could work for a common law situation? Yes, that's right. Okay. Now the um, you know the I think you use the right both of you use the right word tool right trusts are mm-hmm. tools um, tools in this particular case trust or spousal trust specifically are not designed to create complexity in somebody's life and cost uh, unless you need that right unless there's a specific reason to put it in but the right. complexity typically of a second marriage or a, a business ownership uh, situation mm-hmm. often raises the flag about what uh, you know. What what we need to be thinking about in order to ensure that the assets get transitioned to the to the right people, right? Mm-hmm. That the intents are carried out. So, Catherine, is there, is let's talk just generally about complexity for a minute because the trust tool uh, is just that. When should you not be using trusts? Um, I think. If you don't have any concern at the end of the day of transferring all of your assets over to your surviving spouse, um, or you're not intending for your surviving spouse to receive a benefit of a particular asset during their lifetime, you'd like it to go directly to, for example, children of your first marriage who are no longer minors, there's no issue for um, any anybody to need to hold assets and trust for them. That's when you probably don't need a spousal trust uh, because ultimately you're saying, once I gift this asset over to the ultimate beneficiary, I do not need or intend to retain control of that particular asset or direct how that asset flows thereafter. 
Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's leave it at that point. I want to thank you very much. Uh, trusts are always a confusing topic for people. There are times to use them and not, and I think you've uh, provided a little clarity around that, Catherine. I appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. We've been joined by Catherine Zhang, estate lawyer, associate at Walsh LLP. Uh, she's a terrific resource to us on this show, and we mm-hmm. thank her for her time. Um, you know, we've got, we, we talk about four different buckets on a regular basis. The, the fourth bucket, the legacy bucket, uh, is, an imp- is an important piece of the retirement plan. Right. right. It's not a financial plan. It's part of the retirement plan. Correct. So you'll be in a many, most people, in fact, are going to be in a position where some assets are transitioning. Tax becomes important. The strategy around who's going to receive it to avoid family conflicts. Nobody wants to give the gift of a family fight, right, and legal bills. So the work up front, Faisal, in this, around that will and the strategy and your wishes uh, can, can save a ton of money, right, which are legal bills. And it can create, uh, it can save a ton of potential problems, which are the dysfunctional family dynamics that it can create. Yeah, and this is where the 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 uh, the planning and getting the advice is very important. So once again, make sure you get the advice. Yeah, let's on- talk. Let's talk about our seminar before we uh, sign off today. Yes, uh, our seminar will be on Tuesday, October twenty third, seven p.m. at the Oak Ridge Co op Wine and Spirits. Uh, we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of topics like this one, so give us a call to reserve your seats, 966-8400, 966-8400, or go on our website to register at morethanmoneyradio.com. Don't forget that all of our uh, all of our shows are recorded at morethanmoneyradio.com. You can get them in the archives and view or re- listen to them at your convenience. You can all ha- also have them directly delivered to you, More Than Money, CHQR, on iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. Sign up. We'd love to send that to you. Thanks for tuning in to a, another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.